The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, we saw a mixed bag of trading on the day Wednesday with the soybean market under pressure with the bean meal down as well. While we found corn and wheat tried their best to hold on to some gains on the day. And it was a mixed bag in cattle and hogs, uh, seesawing back and forth either side of unchanged on Wednesday's session. Welcome into Market Talk. Thank you for joining us here on the program today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up on today's show, we're going to get some thoughts on this midweek market action. I know as well, we're going to have some thoughts uh, going back to Friday's USDA report, some questions about corn and soybean production and stocks. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics is going to join us for a conversation coming up here in segment two and three today. Looking forward to diving into things with Mike and getting his perspective on what we're seeing in this market trade. I know uh, plenty of frustration out there across uh, farm and ranch country in terms of some of these prices and a lot of questions about some of those numbers that came out from USDA. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to break down the funds versus the fundamentals here with Mike Zuzalo on today's program. That's again coming up in segment two and three today. Also coming up here at the end of the program, we'll have a look at a few news headlines, including some revised corded soybean crop budgets for 2024 comments from Nick Paulson, ag economist with the University of Illinois. We'll also get some thoughts on how El Nino is impacting weather patterns with Shane Hubbard from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We'll get to those news stories and more coming up later on in the program. First up, though, on today's Market Talk, let's get a little bit of analysis from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talked to Arlen around midday. He is uh, on the ground this week at the Fort Wayne Farm Show in Indiana, taking some time to uh, talk with us, though, about what he's seeing in this market trade. And as we talked around midday Wednesday... Largely plenty of uh, bearish pressure in soybeans and kind of that mixed bag in corn and wheat. We also saw at the time cattle and hogs were trading a bit lower too. We discuss grains, livestock, and get some thoughts on the outside markets as well. Here is that midday commentary from Wednesday with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, starting with the grain trade. Kind of bearish at commodities overall, so we're still facing those headwinds. We look at the big sell-off that we had yesterday. It came with a big increase in open interest, meaning managed money putting on a lot more short or sold positions, unfortunately. As, as we look at the bean market, uh, we're just simply getting outpriced by Brazil. The Brazil cash market is certainly not concerned about a short crop. Checking this morning for a price of beans shipped into uh, into China for February shipment. Um, they were a dollar seventy-five cheaper coming from Brazil than they were from the U.S. Gulf, and so the U.S. market uh, uh, responding to that and trying to move lower, trying to uncover some more business. Corn and wheat, you mentioned getting a little bit of a bounce there in Chicago. Soft red winter wheat, as well as in corn, basically it just got cheap enough. We saw some bargain hunters come in to do a little bit of buying. Uh, no, no indication of a change in trend yet at this point. 
um, but simply a little bit of bottom picking there to see if um, by buyers who felt like maybe this was a good price, so they're coming in and doing a little bit of pricing today. On the livestock front, uh, seeing a little bit of weakness across cattle and hog futures. I'd have to think at this point in the week on the cattle side, uh, traders probably going to start positioning ahead of Friday's cattle on feed numbers, Arlen. Yeah, exactly right. And as as we look over all of what's happened in this market, we're still being affected quite a bit by the weather. Now, not as much snow going forward, still another bout of cold yet to go this weekend. So that's going to continue to hurt performance overall. We've seen slaughter rates for cattle go up to 112, 114,000 respectively over the last couple of days. That's still about 10% off of normal but it is an improvement where we were. We are tightening up the meat supply as a result. We've seen the product market, both for for beef and for pork, improve as a result. But a lot of that's already been priced in now, so we're seeing a little bit of the upward momentum starting to wane, both for live cattle and lean hog futures. And real quick, outside markets, I know uh, crude and the stocks are kind of lower here on Wednesday. That dollar's been trending higher. Any notes for you in the outside markets here today, Arlen? Well, yeah, we've talked about here um, before how the market had been pricing in expectations of a Federal Reserve pivot and lower interest rates as early as the March meeting. And uh, finally, the Fed members have made enough speeches out there now that uh, Wall Street this week kind of woke up the reality that the Fed had no intention of cutting rates in this quarter, first quarter of the year. And so now they're pricing that in uh, uh, with higher treasury yields now, a sharply higher dollar, which is creating some headwinds for the commodity sector and seeing some of that uh, pressure then weigh on the equity market at times as well. Once again, comments there with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us for our midday commentary on the day Wednesday. Do appreciate his time and insight. Well, the January WASDE report showed a surprising jump in quarter soybean production. Betty Resnick, an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation, talks about what the report revealed about supply and demand for ag commodities. Corn yields were raised to a new U.S. yield record at 177.3 bushels per acre, which is really remarkable given how poor the growing conditions were. Those big increases for corn and soybeans came from the yield. There's actually a small reduction in acres for both of those. Those increases in production were mostly in up with demand, but still kind of bearish news for corn and soy domestically. The report also included increased commodity supplies overseas. Internationally, it had a bump up in world-ending stocks for corn, largely attributed to an increase in Chinese corn production estimates. And if we're looking down to South America, the USDA had a pretty conservative reduction in Brazilian soybeans as compared to what a lot of folks are saying in the private industry. But it's really important to remember with Brazil that it's a massive country, and Mato Grosso is truly massive. It's Brazil's largest soybean-growing state, but it is the equivalent of the size of six Illinois, which is our largest soybean growing state. And Resnick says much of the first WASD of the year points to a possible downturn for commodity markets in 2024. Corn and soybeans are probably going to continue to see prices on the decline from these record high prices we've had the past couple of years. That's kind of what we've seen since this report came out for the most part, in addition, just in the past couple of months. So I don't know if there's much bullish news in corn and soy's future, but we'll have to wait and see. And once again, that's comments with Betty Resnick, economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation. 
Well, we get uh, a look at the weather here. Uh, last punch from this polar vortex expected here over the next couple of days as we're also watching a storm system working out of the Pacific Northwest into parts of the northern plains here as we move into Thursday and Friday. Could produce some bands of light snow across portions of the northern plains and uh, clipping down into parts of the Midwest as well. And this uh, clipper is also expected to usher in the final push of cold air from the polar vortex for the end of this week and weekend. Temperatures uh, won't be as harsh as they had been earlier in the week, though. That's a good sign. And uh, it's something that we're going to watch here. And hopefully we can get back to more seasonal temperatures as we get into the week ahead. I know for one, I am pretty tired of the bitter cold weather. That is for sure. Well, I know that's uh, having an impact on some folks in farm and ranch country and maybe having some impact in the markets. We're going to talk markets up next with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. He joins us after the break here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we settled up the trade action on Wednesday, the soy complex, no doubt, was the loser of the session. Corded wheat did their best to try and hang on to some green, but largely slipped a little bit lower as well. Livestock trade was a mixed bag on Wednesday. Here to talk about what we're seeing in these markets, joining us for a conversation, Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, Good to talk with you. Thanks for joining us. I know we have uh, plenty to dive into here in terms of these markets and uh, an interesting session on Wednesday. I think to one degree, there's still some spillover from all those USDA numbers that came out on Friday. Throw that with uh, looking at South American weather. That seems to be the big things to me anyway, driving these markets here on Wednesday. Yeah, and you know, Tuesday night, we saw a lot of Chinese economic data come across the screens, Jesse, and we were actually trading up, I think, five to seven in the soybeans at that point. And that economic data came through, and most of it was pretty bad. It did not meet trade expectations like their GDP for 2023 was plus 5.2%. That was on the light side. Um, some of their retail sales data was just atrocious. Um, uh, it was up 7.4% for the month of December year over year, but the trade was looking for eight plus percent. Um, and you know, then we started to see some other data come through. It wasn't all bad, but the headline stuff that the trade really cares about, it was pretty rough. And I just thought to myself, it's gonna be hard for the beans to lead this trade back higher at this point, given the USDA report numbers and given this Chinese data. So I was curious when I got up this morning to see what was going on and I, to me, that's what Wednesday was about. It was about wheat and corn having gone through the Friday lows from the report day uh, earlier in the week, wanting to try and claw back above those lows with some good demand coming through in the wheat uh, in terms of tenders. Um, but then the soybeans just said, no, we're not going to do that. We got to keep going lower because not only Brazil price is still in the tank, um, we're really worried about the Chinese demand. 
let's break this down a little bit. And uh, I'm glad that you brought in some of these uh, Chinese economic uh, news and data here today. It's going to be part of our discussion as we look at your analysis. And I think we got a couple legs of a stool here. Uh, but of course, China being the big discussion point. And of course, uh, let's start with South American weather. You know, we've been seeing a lot of soybeans move from Brazil to China. That's changed up some of the dynamic here. But to your points, uh, we got a lot of weather that we're watching in South America. So uh, let's just start here and set up this piece of the picture first, Mike. Yeah, the big thing in this this map shows is the corn area of of production in Brazil. And, and you see the big green blob in the upper left-hand corner. That's Mato Grosso. You're talking about 30 40% of the Brazilian corn production. So I took that overlay and, and used uh, an evaporative stress index that I like to use when modeling my yields for other countries and, and in the United States and also you know trying to model for a production number. Um, because as of last month, I was still sitting at about a 154 on soybean production for Brazil and a 118 for corn, Jesse. And, and both those numbers have come down from other private sources. And I'm getting ready to look at my numbers right now. And, and a lot will depend on whether it rains next week like it's supposed to in center west Brazil, Mato Grosso, Goiás, Mato Grosso do Sul, and, and to a lesser degree, Sao Paulo. But just focusing on Mato Grosso and that big green blob and, and the amount of drought there, this is where I'm separating the corn from the beans in that I think the corn has been hurt a lot worse than the beans at this point, especially as late as second crop corn is going in and less second crop corn acres as a result of first crop beans and the drought. And, and so I think this is where I would scrutinize the report. I think there's a problem in this market that, that still is present from 2023 and that is we're not scrutinizing the Middle East and the Red Sea when it comes to crude oil. We're not putting in risk premium. We're not scrutinizing the USDA numbers when they took the corn numbers up so much globally, but it was all one country. It was China, you know, 14 million tons in increase in production. 12 of that came from China. And I'm sitting here thinking, how can that be when China is importing at a three-year marketing year high right now? So why did USDA fall, follow along with, with China's numbers, their official numbers. So that takes me back to this map and it takes me back to the fact that I think we do have irreparable damage in this crop done. That there, there are many of us out there thinking that, but the trade in general, it's not playing that in terms of trying to price that in. It's, it's gotten a green light, in my opinion, to go lower if it wants to because of USDA's numbers last Friday and this poor economic data. Uh, that's a great uh, way to put this together here, Mike. And I want to go and and look at soy exports as well. And you mentioned, you know, China's at at, at highs here for for imports. Uh, break down this chart for us. Uh, what exactly are you seeing here right now? Yeah, the context of this chart for me, Jesse, is okay. If I'm worried about another five to eight percent lower because of China and the USDA report. Even though the Taiwanese election went smoothly, we didn't get our Santa Claus rally. We didn't get our reset on our crop report like I wanted. The market to me is returning back to 2023 in mindset. It's retrenching for poor commodity demand. And, and this is all about China for the most part. 
and, and part of it is the currencies, but that, that again kind of can be rolled back into China and the weakness there. But this chart kind of highlights to me, if I have to pick which commodity, if they are going to go 5 to 8% lower, fundamentally speaking on the report, and then net price and profitability, what's the best one to go after? I think it's the soybeans in terms of protecting downside because 5 to 8% lower an 8% lower market from $12 would be about $11 down to a futures price. And so that dollar potential is, I think, very much worth protecting. And especially in light of this chart, because what I'm looking at here especially is the orange part of the graph. That's China's uh, imports, their demand from the United States um, in the last four years. And they've just ratcheted down as they've picked up more from Brazil. Their, their actual imports total are going up. But in, in year after year, I mean, I think this is a, a, another big year for increases. I want to say it was 10 or 11 percent for Brazil in terms of China. That came at the expense of us. And so that takes us to the black line. That is where you're at in terms of percent of exports by, at the time of your marketing year versus your marketing year total. And so we should be close to 40 percent of our marketing year total at this point. Um, but we're <clears throat> really sitting and, and back in 2020, 2021, uh, we were well north of 40, close to 45% of our total uh, and over that even. But we, we aren't even close to 40% at this stage of the game. And so I think given the fact that Brazilian beans in Paranagua are 425, 427 a ton and we're at 482, um, there's downside potential here if these Chinese markets don't come back for us. And I guess I want to ask, why would they, given their negative crush margins, given their hog situation, and given the cheaper Brazilian price? So this chart's about laying out the idea for my clients and subscribers why I want to hedge with puts if we take out Friday's lows, last Friday's report day lows and beans, the beans, and not necessarily do any corn or, or wheat. Well, and you mentioned the China economic data, and I'll pull up this chart as well, looking at their CPI. And I, I, you know, I guess the question I maybe have here with China as well, you mentioned they're importing a lot right now. I've heard a lot of talk, though, about their economy being in poor shape. I, I just wonder, are they stockpiling for the potential of their economy, you know, going in the tank possibly here, Mike? I, I guess I wonder about that. Yeah, this is one of the big things in 2024 and why I still feel like we may be cutting into a demand low here right now with these markets doing what they're doing because the trades, I think, getting bad signals right now or getting mixed signals. And th this chart specifically shows us very clearly that the GDP deflator, the essentially the inflationary gauge that economists use for countries to measure their deflation um, is at the worst in terms of out, outright number um, at a negative 1.4%. That's going to be your green line on the left-hand side scale. You're at a negative 1.4%. That's the worst since 2009 in the financial crisis. And if you look at how many quarters and how long we've been in the negative on that green line, it's as bad as it was than when we go all the way back to 1999 before China even joined the WTO. This is the heart of the commodity bowl in, in terms of it being resuscitated or not. And you can see real clearly that that Chinese food CPI 
consumer price inflation data really tracks big time with that GDP deflator and vice versa. And so when you see those kind of numbers, it doesn't matter right now that 2023's coal output by China was a record. It doesn't matter that their crude imports were up 11% and a record. It doesn't matter that their soybean imports were up 11% as well, and that their pork output was the highest in 10 years, and that their refinery output was the highest on record. I mean, all this data is just pretty fresh in the market, but they're not looking at it because of this chart and a couple other pieces of information, I think. Good stuff. We're having a great conversation. We got to take a pause, though. We will continue our convo with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. We'll do that on the way right after this here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Stay up to date and listen to past episodes online at markettalkag.com. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. We are talking today with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics, breaking down the markets and the market action that we have currently. And Mike, let's continue uh, on this discussion here with the China aspect here in these markets and look at another chart, looking at the Chinese yuan and just what are you seeing here in terms of their monetary values and just this economy as well? Break this chart down for us too, because I, I find all this very fascinating, Mike. They can't they can't lower their interest rates at the Bank of China because their currency keeps weakening because of their economic data and the investment world is not putting foreign money into their country. This offshore currency for the Chinese yuan Jesse is at a nine to 10 week low now against the US dollar. So that means their buying power is going down. This type of currency move in China gets spilled over into countries like Brazil. Brazil just had a five week low posted against the US dollar today. So not only does Brazil get more competitive on their exports, but we get less competitive on our exports because China's buying power in, against the U.S. dollar gets weaker and weaker. And I think this is how we kind of roll the cigar to get the layers we need. I think that this is the facets in the diamond as to why this stuff is so important to the farmer and to the rancher. And this is all going on in the midst of Tunisia, Jordan, Algeria, and Egypt, all tendering for wheat about 1.6 million metric tons in the last four or five days and you got to think, well, if they're doing that, then they must feel like the low in wheat is in. And so that's the contrast that I see right now when I look at this chart versus, say, the wheat market right now. One other chart to help kind of tie all these thoughts together on China, a monthly uh, soybean chart. Uh, what are you seeing here? Let's kind of button up uh, our, our China discussion today and try to summarize this for folks listening in here. Great stuff so far, but how can we kind of button up this conversation? What should folks take take to heart and keep in mind here, Mike? 
Yeah, two things. This is 50 years of data on soybean lead month futures, and you've got one more low left after Friday's report, and that's about 1170, and that takes you back to the 2020-2021 time period. I don't want to wait for that low to be violated. I, I'm going to go after this market if we take out Friday's report day lows anytime this week and get those May puts bought in the soybeans because of the orange line, because there is really no support that you can see technically speaking in that chart until you get down to the long-term trend that is drawn off of, guess what, the 2000, 2001 time period. So when traders and analysts and commodities are, con I'm a contrarian right now, thinking that we don't need to go to 2015 to 2019 price levels again. But when they talk about this, that's why they're saying that is because you've got some real downside technically speaking on some of these long-term charts. The last thing I'll say about this chart is the very bottom right corner is a stochastic. It's an oscillator. It's a sentiment indicator that I like to use, and it's very oversold, which means there should be fewer and fewer new sellers coming into this into the market. But when you're talking about something so big as China, Jesse, I don't think you can rely too heavily upon that. And, and kind of to cushion myself, that's why I'm doing the bought puts and I'm not selling a lot of cash bushels here. I'd rather start with the puts and see if this is a quote false breakout to the downside. And then if my puts don't work, I've still got plenty of cash to help offset that potential put loss. Any differences for you two? One more thought in grains uh, between old crop versus new crop marketing at this juncture post USDA report. Are there are there many major differences for you right now, Mike? Yeah, I think the thing that for me is, is that we still need the acres in both corn and beans, less so in the beans because we're now at a 280 million bushel carryover. But to me, Jesse, that 280 million bushel carryover, if, if it's really there, I don't see much daylight in the cash basis for soybeans until we get closer to April when Brazil should theoretically run out. But this all goes right back to the whole idea of how big is the Brazilian crop and how big is the Argentine crop to offset the Brazilian crop. So I, I see more um, volatility in the old crop and, and especially in the basis side of the equation than maybe the new crop. All right, let's talk livestock a little bit here before we wrap up today's program. Uh, look at one more chart. Look at the cattle hog spread. Uh, what are you seeing right now? What are the dynamics in these uh, livestock markets in the protein sector here post WASDE report for you, Mike? Well, this chart to me is very important because I, I do think we're still running kind of a 2015 model year. And last year was like 2014. And this chart kind of helps show some similarities as far as the price action in cattle versus hogs. Uh, and we've gotten some pretty negative data from China when it comes to their top three hog producers. And so it would make sense to me that the cattle chart would hold up, that trend line would hold up against the hogs. In other words, we wouldn't need to go below $100 premium on a weekly basis in lead month cattle minus lead month hogs. If we would, I would probably take that as a sell signal in the cattle. And that kind of wraps up with this week's cattle on feed and, and the placements numbers and the on feed numbers. And it kind of wraps well with this weather market that really never materialized in, in terms of the plain states. It was supportive, but I don't think we really put any premium on this market, especially given that the USDA's fed cattle comprehensive report yesterday for the week showed us up about a dollar on steers and we're upwards of 175.70 now. So we should have a pretty easy path 
to higher cattle prices in the short term, if you ask me. I, I know, too. I've been watching uh, the cutouts. Uh, Bow Choice and Select on the cattle side have been creeping back up there towards uh, some lofty levels again, Mike. Anything you can draw from some of that activity as well here to watch for in these markets? Yeah, and I, th- I think that is one of the biggest features to this weather and what it's done to the packer and shutting in packers and not being able to get uh, market-ready steers to the to the packer and, and really tighten us up. But the trade in the futures market, I've heard them say, well, that's not that positive because you're backing up supplies. That just means heavier dress weights. We just can't get away from those big weights right now in terms of the trade psychology. So I historically, I think that when you have weather like this, it's net net a positive for prices because at some point you're probably going to have a hole in marketings and you're also going to have a lot lighter weights if it keeps up. But that's where next week's weather for South America and their production and next week's weather for us to be able to warm up again, they're pretty big deals, if you ask me, in the big in the big scheme of things, Jesse. Hogs, too. Uh, one thought from you there. We've been trying to churn this market higher. I, I feel like we maybe hit a little bit of overhead resistance here the last few days, Mike. I think we have, and I don't like the new Chinese data. The three biggest hog producers out there in China have pretty much held on with bigger numbers until just right now. They tried to ride the bad times out, but their their cash flows are just getting eaten up. And so they are still in the midst of liquidation from what I can tell. So the hogs need cattle at this point, in my opinion. Well, great analysis. Uh, I know we took a, a deep dive into uh, the soy market here, especially today, but always uh, appreciate the conversation. And Mike, if folks want to reach out to you with questions, take a look at your research and more, how can they get a hold of you, Mike? Best ways to go to globalcomresearch.com, Jesse. It's globalcom with two M's, research.com. And I'll be doing a report to clients and subscribers. So please sign up for the uh, for the analysis and be part of that uh, analysis on this soybean hedge recommendation, which will include some uh, put uh, projected profit loss charts that I like to do. Globalcom with two M's, research.com. That's where you could find more from Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate you helping me explain all this. You do a great job. Uh, Well, I I do the best that I can some days, Mike. But uh, thank you as always and uh, appreciate your insight. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics joining us here today on Market Talk. Well, let's uh, take a look at some of the closing numbers here before we run out of time in this segment today. And again, pressure at soybeans, kind of the leader to the downside here. We'll start there. March beans down 21 and a half on the day, Wednesday, 12.05 and three quarters. July soybeans, 18 and a half lower, 12.28 and a quarter. I want to look over at new crop uh, November soybeans also. We saw those down 12 and a quarter at 11.89. March soybean meal down 12.40 a ton, 358.70. March soybean oil was 45 points higher, 47.70. March corn one and a quarter lower, 4.42 and a quarter. July corn down one and a half, 4.62 and a half. December corn new crop down two and a quarter at 4.75. March Chicago wheat half penny higher, 5.82 and a half. July down three and a quarter at 6.02. December down three and three quarters, 629. March Kansas City wheat seven and a half lower, 594. July down six and a half, 602 and a half. December KC wheat six lower at 630. 
And in spring wheat, we saw March down 10 and a half, 680 at a quarter. July down 10, $7 and a quarter. December spring wheat, eight and three quarters lower, 726 and three quarters. Oats for March, one higher, 353 and a half. We saw canola two to three lower on the day on Wednesday. In the cotton market, March up 37 points, 81.70. July cotton up 40 points, 83.35. And in livestock trade, February live cattle down to 173.10. April live cattle 45 higher, 175.62. June live cattle up 62, 172.80. August up 60, 173.42. January feeder cattle 87 higher, 228.42. March up 95, 229.77. April feeders up 92, 235.20. And in hogs, February 67 higher, 71.45. April hogs up 40, 77.97. May hogs up 5, 83.95. And June lean hogs, 12 higher at 92.17 on the day on Wednesday. That's a recap of the closing futures numbers from Wednesday's trade. Coming up next, we're going to wrap up the program, take a look at a few news headlines here on Market Talk, including some new cost of production numbers out from the University of Illinois. We'll take a look at that story and look at drone use in agriculture. That's all coming up next here. We'll be back with more on Market Talk of the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for sticking with us here today. Always appreciate a conversation with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. You can find him online. Again, just go to globalcom with two M's, research.com. If you want to take a look at his analysis and reach out to him for a conversation about your marketing plan. Let's take a look at some news headlines. And like many new technologies in agriculture today, drones used to be a novelty. Now they are being used to plant seeds, scout crops for disease and insects, and protect them from those pressures as well. Kevin Morris with the Federal Aviation Administration, known as their drone guy, talks about the recent uptick in agriculture's use of drones. I think you might be able to argue that the agricultural industry is driving a lot of the drone technology and advancements. So when we look in terms of how prevalent they're coming, we're typically talking about dispensing product. That means we're talking about the old part 137 operators, right? This is the aerial applicators have been operating under for years and years and years. So when we started to see drones transition, we had about 178 total part 137 operators that has changed significantly in just the last few months. We've changed our process for certification of drone operators under Part 137, and today we're up to 550. Well, Morris emphasizes that drones are aircraft, so following FAA rules is important. The agency is constantly using outreach efforts to educate anyone who is considering drone use on the farm, so heavier penalties aren't necessary. Although they feel like they've been around a long time, they're still relatively new. And a lot of people, they just don't know. They don't know what they don't know. So a lot of times the FA will come in and just counsel the individual, help educate the individual. Sometimes they can do additional training with their particular individual. 
depending on the circumstances, we may be talking about fines or certificate action. We can suspend or revoke a particular certificate if need be. So sort of the framework for enforcement action that the FAA has for drones is really just the same as traditional aircraft. For more information tailored for drone use in agriculture, you can visit FAA.gov and you can listen to the latest Ohio Farm Bureau podcast to hear the entire conversation with FAA's drone guy, Kevin Morris. You can find it at OhioFarmBureau.org and search for podcast. Well, updated crop budgets from the University of Illinois show farmers in the state are likely to lose money on their cash-rented acres this year. Nick Paulson penned an article for the Farm Doc Daily website, which details the declining returns in the face of lower current and projected prices for corn and soybeans. So for 2023, we're looking at a 480 price. That's a slight adjustment down from what we had in August. And then the larger adjustment down... Um, to, to 450 for the 2024 corn price. Soybeans, it's a similar story. Uh, 1290 price for 2023 and then the big adjustment down for 2024 to 1150 and then kind of the other side of the story, uh, you know, big picture here is that we've got production costs that increased significantly with the high returns that we had in 2020, 2021, 2022. And historically, uh, you know, those production costs are pretty sticky and they don't happen as quickly, we tend to see a lag, even a longer lag in, in adjustments down in those costs. Well, the Farm Doc Daily article posted by Nick Paulson shows the lower price projections coupled with the lagging costs produces average net per acre losses of more than $100 per cash rented acre in the majority of Illinois. You could find the article online. Just go to farmdocdaily.illinois.edu. Well, despite the recent snowfall and cold temperatures, there's still the potential for continued dry conditions. That's according to Shane Hubbard, a research scientist at the Space Science and Engineering Center at University of Wisconsin-Madison. He provides insight on how the ongoing El Nino event is impacting weather patterns in the state. El Nino is the warming of the waters uh, at the equator in the Pacific Ocean. And specifically, we look at that region that's just off of South America. And that impacts our weather here in Wisconsin, throughout the U.S. actually. And for winters in Wisconsin, we have warmer winters on average. Uh, Record-setting warm winters have happened in the past. Uh, lower snowfall totals and drier conditions. And we've already seen that this year. We've seen warmer conditions November, December, and, and through at least the mid part of January. We're going to see a cool down toward the end of January, we believe. But we've also seen those lower snowfall totals. I mean, we're about 17 inches below normal here in southern Wisconsin and northern Wisconsin, even more than that. So we're really seeing the, the impacts of El Nino. El Nino has a key impact on what's happening in South America as well. So there's a really high relationship between El Nino and what happens in South America. And so in South America, we actually see similar conditions to what we see here. Um, we see drier conditions there. Uh, we tend to see warmer conditions there. And so yields generally go down in South America. However, we see better growing conditions in places uh, in Europe. So Europe and Asia as well. And so in those areas where we have a lot of crops um, that are being sold, they tend tend to do a little bit better in those areas, while here in the sort of Western hemisphere, our crops tend to do a little bit worse. Global weather patterns, including events like hurricanes, play a key role in agriculture.
you know, most people don't think hurricanes affect us here in Wisconsin, but they do. We do get some tropical systems. They're no longer hurricanes, right? I mean, we, we don't have to worry about a hurricane coming through Wisconsin, but we do get the precipitation from those. And so during El Nino events, we tend to see fewer hurricanes, which would mean less impacts to Wisconsin from, pre- from the precipitation from those. However, during La Nina events, we see more hurricanes. And so a higher possibility that we would see one of these systems coming through here and giving us additional precipitation. So as we continue to watch the forecast, you know, hurricane season begins in November. La Nina starts in November. So any impacts that we might have from those hurricanes would be later in the year after the growing season is over, and they would help for things that might happen in 2025. Hubbard recommends embracing the resilience of crops and adaptive farming practices, including the use of drought-resistant hybrids. So it's interesting. I, I remember when I was a kid, if we had had like the nine-inch deficit of rainfall that we had this past year, the crops would have been rolled up, dried out. They would have looked terrible. But there's a lot of resilience uh, sort of bred into the crops today. And so I think some of the hybrids that we have out now that are more drought resistant, I mean, certainly those would be fantastic to be able to use, especially this year when we do expect that conditions could be rather dry. Certainly there are farming practices that do help in both dry and wet conditions. Um, if we're maintaining um, certain areas of our fields that might hold water a little bit better than than others. But I think just choosing the right crops to grow, I mean, I think are going to be great. I mean, I know soybeans are certainly far more drought resistant today than they ever were in the past. And so these types of things are certainly going to help farmers. Again, that's Shane Hubbard with the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We're out of time on Market Talk. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day.